HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen. I'm in studio at heritageradionetwork.org. This is the first episode of season four. Uh, So thank you for listening and thank you for staying with us if you are currently listening live or downloading on a podcast. I'm in studio today. My guest is Yemi Amu. She is the co-founder of Oko Farms, which happens to be the largest aquaponics farm in all of Brooklyn. Welcome to the show, Yemi. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here and helping us kick off the season. It is so exciting to be back, and I'm so thrilled to have you sitting across from me. Thank you. Looking out onto Roberta's and all the folks enjoying their pizza. Right. It's good to be back. Right. Congratulations. Season four, that's awesome. Thanks, Sammy. I appreciate you saying that. Um, You were on a panel with me over the summer. Yes. It was a joint episode that Food Without Borders did. Uh, with Corsia's show called Changing the Conversation. And I didn't know you before that, but I thought you were so eloquent and interesting and passionate that I was just so excited to invite you to come on the show and what you said um, about farming and access and equity and, I mean, all the, like, changing the conversation, talk about topics we were covering. uh, You just made such a strong impression on me. Um, So I'm really happy to like get this one-on-one time with you and learn more about you. Um, So why don't you start us off by telling us about what's what Oco Farms is and and I don't don't mean maybe some people don't know what aquaponics is. I don't think there's a lot of aquaponics farmers out there. Yeah, I know. And the name is kind of weird, right? Aquaponics. Yeah. (laughs) Like what is it? Water. Yeah. yeah. And and people confuse it with hydroponics. (laughs) Right. And I'm always like, no. 
not hydroponics. <laughs> you get mad. Yes. <laughs> Yell at people. <laughs> and they always like, oh, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, I'm not a farmer like you. <laughs> yeah, aquaponics is just, it's um, farming and water, essentially. Um, I, I call it aquatic farming because I think that sounds a lot better. But it's essentially raising um, fish and plants together in water. I mean, that's, that sounds really cool and, like, futuristic. So, I mean, why don't, can you explain, like, how the fish uh, benefit the plants that mm-hmm. are growing in the water? Like, what is their, like, circle of life relationship? Yeah. So, even though it sounds super futuristic, it's <laughs> actually um, something that happens naturally in nature. Mm. And also, it's a practice that's, like, thousands of years old at the same time we've just given it a fancy new name and it sounds like really cool <laughs> funny how we do that <laughs> um but if you think about it in natural bodies of water um on earth that have fish living there they're uh, also plants right they could be algae uh microscopic plants most of them um and plants and fish are always living in this like symbiotic ecosystem where the fish are producing waste um, and that waste needs to somehow be removed. And um, you have both uh, microbes and plants that are acting as filtration systems. So fish produce waste, uh, you know, through their breathing, through their, through urination, and even like solid waste. Um, and the job of the microbes is to take that waste and break it down. And then it produces, um, or they produce nutrients plant nutrients as a byproduct, and then those plants take up the nutrients. Um, And if we think about it, that system, I always tell people, is essentially uh, part of the reason that we can breathe. Mm. Because most of the earth is water. Right. Right? And a lot of those bodies of water have fish living in them. And if they have fish living in them, then there are microbes in there, and there are plants in there. Whether we can see those plants or not, they're in there. The microbes are definitely there. And if those plants are taking up nutrients to grow, they're also photosynthesizing. Right? Because plants... Nature, man. Nature, right. It's cool. And then it's like, <laughs> they're like cleaning the air for us. So it's just this natural thing that happens all the time that we take for granted. And some really smart people thousands of years ago... <laughs> observe that yeah. and like took that to the advantage right so if it's if it's um taking place naturally in like rivers and ponds where fish are we could probably recreate that um now we do it in cities and we recreated using plumbing and like yeah i mean that's what i was gonna <laughs> yeah i mean two things come to mind real quick is like i don't want to go off on like a big tangent mm-hmm. about science and uh the ecosystem because i want to talk to you about a lot of things mm-hmm. but like i'm concerned about how overfishing is affecting all of this. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. 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 (laughs) Let's do it. Let's let's just go there real fast. Um, So, yeah. I mean, how how is our food system and, like, you know, our love of sushi? I mean, how is this affecting plants and then probably impacting the air we breathe in this very cyclical way? Mm -hmm. And then also, how do you do this in Brooklyn? (laughs) two different things right so one of the things that I talk about when people come to the farm is exactly the connection between the work we do on the farm and um, what's happening in the oceans and in in, um, um, you know bodies of water around the world Um, because I think that part of your work as an urban farmer is to make these connections for people. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, we don't know. We only get information from what we read if we come across that information. 
Um, so yeah, we are overfishing. Um, and a lot of it is like we're, we're essentially emptying out the ocean for big fish, you know? We're taking out the big fish. Um, not only that, we're like taking out everything, right? You just scrape the ocean, you take everything out. Oh, you mean like the just like the byproduct just of the, fishing? Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, fishermen like scrape everything. Right, yeah, you know, those huge nets. What, including what you don't need, mm-hmm. right? And then you take, you keep 10% of what you, you um, actually take out of the ocean and the rest is like waste. And when you break up that ecosystem, you're causing like a lot of harm in the ocean. Um, so like the smaller fish are dying and because the smaller fish are dying, the bigger fish are dying or starving. Um, <clears throat> and if the fish die, then the microbes don't have anything to feed on and then those plants don't have anything to like uh, nutrients and then they don't photosynthesize and then our air is imp- impacted by that. So there is like this connection. Um, but we don't think about it, right? When we no. think about the environment, we usually, and farming, we think about cows. Right. Or um, we think about the Amazon. <laughs> no, you know, exactly. Think I, mean, I think about the rainforest exactly. being cut down to make way for cattle being raised for like McDonald's. Exactly. Food. Yeah. Exactly. But most of the earth is covered by water. So that impacts us just as much, or not, if not more. So is your recommendation to not eat fish? I don't know. It's very complex. I think my mm-hmm. recommendation is to understand, to know where your fish is coming from. Mm-hmm. I think traceability is the biggest issue when it comes to fish. Where is it coming from? Is it ocean? Is it like wild caught or is it farmed raised? If it's wild caught, like where and how? Um, at this point, it's like, honestly, should we even be taking fish out of the ocean at all? The answer is probably no. And then if it's farm raised, like where and how? Like those are very important things. There's this debate now about what's healthier, farm raised fish or ocean fish. Um, I mean, I think the problem with ocean fish is you can't guarantee that it is healthy. Mm -hmm. You can't guarantee that there aren't toxins in the water anyway, right? There's mercury Mm -hmm. already. There's other stuff. So you can't guarantee that too. Is it healthy for the environment and then you in the long run? That's number one. Number two, farmed fish can also be problematic because if you're taking... Um, fish from the ocean to feed farmed fish, that's also a problem because we're also contributing to, to like killing the ocean. So it is very complex and it's very complicated. And there are people in the world who will eat fish because it's their only source of protein. Mm. And not everyone is going to be vegan. It doesn't work that way. I'm a pescatarian. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work that way. I think the biggest issue is, and I always say this, like, you need to know where your food is coming from. It's important because when you know it's coming from, you can support those who are doing it properly, who are doing it the right way. That's the, the most important thing. We need to support people who, are, um, who support your values, right? This is what I want the world to look like, and this person is a- actively working towards that. So it's knowing what companies are uh, sourced responsibly and buying your fish from them. I don't ever feel like completely abs- abstaining is the answer. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I'm not sure that it is. Um, are there resources you can call out or we can try and there, educate ourselves about where our fish are coming there's from? There's a great organization called Future Fish. Future of Fish? Yes. Okay. And you can find all kinds of information on their website. Um, they've dedicated, like, I've known about Future of Fish maybe since, like, 2011 or 2012. And they've dedicated a lot of, like, time and resources to, like, 
coming up with every information you can yeah. think about about fish. Yeah. I've looked at um, what's the big one like Ocean? Yeah, those guys. Yeah, Ocean <laughs> Watch or something like that. And it is confusing because I feel like every time I look at it, there's different or there's different information, mm-hmm. and I understand that that's because things are constantly invo- evolving. Absolutely. And yeah. it's like one day it's like okay, don't eat you know barracuda mm-hmm. and eat sardines and then the next day it's like no don't do that (laughs) um so it's hard to stay on top of it i mean are there fish that are generally more sustainable to eat than other kinds of fish or is it just always changing hmm i mm, let's see so what where it comes from i think is what you should be looking at okay as opposed to what fish to eat yeah, right? it's like you have to look at it you have holistically. To know. So I always use tilapia as an example because people <clears throat> get all worked up about tilapia and there's all types of information. Trash fish. Trash fish. Okay. I think it's a little elitist and racist to call it trash fish, okay. but okay. okay. No, that's great. I mean, <laughs> I just immediately, that was like the association. Exactly. I've heard people be like, tilapia, trash fish, without giving too much thought behind it. Yeah, exactly. Um, tilapia is probably the most like popularly eaten fish in the world mm-hmm. um, because it's easy to raise. Mm. It's very easy to raise, um, and it grows really fast, and it's omnivorous in nature. And because it's omnivorous in nature, you can feed it almost anything. Some people abuse that. But if you think about it from a sustainability perspective, you don't have to depend on ocean fish to raise tilapia. So it is a better fish Mm. um, to eat. The caveat is... Where is it coming from? Right. Like, who's raising it? You know, if you don't know where it's coming from, if you don't know what, and now when I say where, I don't even know like exactly the company, but what part of the world? Because if you do your research, there are parts of the world where there's more regulations when it comes to fish farming than others. So, understanding that is like really important. So, like, is the fish coming from? North America? Is it coming from Europe? Is it coming from Asia? If it's coming from Asia, where? Like, you can actually find out this information if you go on, um, I think EcoWatch would, the, that organization, I don't know why I can't remember its name. Yeah, right it's now, Ocean something. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, there's information about that, too, and Future of Fish has that information. Okay. I think knowing where it's coming from is more important than um, like what part of the world is yeah. coming from and if it can be traced. That's more important than whether you're eating anchovies or, or um, I don't know. Tuna. Tuna. Yeah. Also, probably should not be eating tuna. Dog. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Like, just stay away from That's those. just like a good rule. Yeah. To go. yeah. Just like stay away from those guys. Let them be. Right. Um, there is information out there that says that like by 2060, um, if we continue at the rate we're going, um, the only thing left in the ocean will be jellyfish. Jesus. No That's not that eat. far off. No. I mean, some people want to eat jellyfish. I probably don't. I think they live to like 100 years old or something. Damn. God damn it, jellyfish. <laughs> Can't get rid of you. <laughs> they live a really long time. Yeah. So our food system is really complex. And it's important for people to just accept that. Yeah. And know that you have to like read between lines and do your research. And, and just read. Read. Yeah. 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 And, like, nothing is okay. ever just good or just bad, you know? I mean, there are some few exceptions, but, like, like <clears throat> you know, an exception is tuna. Just don't. Just fuck <laughs> off. Okay. All right. That's, that's good. Okay. Thanks. That's helpful. All right. Um, I want to talk, talk more about you. Yeah. Uh, you are Nigerian. I am. <laughs> You're from Lagos. I grew up, yeah, born and raised in Lagos. Okay. Um, 
When did you come here? I came here June 1996. I was 15 years old, and I turned 16 in September. So Why did like you 16. come here? Um, I came here for college. Mm -hmm. I just, I grad, literally graduated. I didn't even graduate. I didn't go to my graduation ceremony. I didn't go to prom. I just like... Overrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I finished all of my exams, because in Nigeria you have these... Um, uh, exams that you take to prepare you for college. And I had taken actually the Nigerian exams and I had taken the GCO levels Cambridge exam because I thought I was going to London. Mm. And then my dad showed up a week before graduation and was like, so I'm going to America. Are you coming? Whoa. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go. Because I've been wanting to leave Nigeria since I was about 12 years old. Why? I, I was just like, this thing in my gut was like, you don't belong here. <laughs> you really? gotta go. Yeah. You gotta go. There's just something else out there for you hmm. and you have to leave. And yeah, my, my brother actually was um <laughs> he's so funny. He brought it up the other day and he was like, You know, you're so strange. There was a day we were um we were home watching TV. This is back in Nigeria, and the electricity used to go off and on a lot. And he was like, The electricity went off, and you looked at me and you said, I got to get the out of this country. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You needed more reliable, <laughs> more reliable TV signal. <laughs> no, no, no. Just there was just something that said, um, I think I saw my life. Oh. I saw my life at about 12. Like I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go to college. I was going to graduate. I was going to get married. I was going to have children. And that's it. That's just like the whole, my, my whole life. I just kn knew right. what it was. If you stayed. If yeah. I stayed, yeah. yeah. And I, I, even at 12, I knew that I needed something else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep getting this idea of like Nigerian prom. <laughs> it's like so curious about what that looks like. It's great. I missed it because you do two proms. You do like the traditional, which is where everyone dresses up in like, you know, your traditional. Because we have, like, you know, Nigeria has like, hundreds of tribes mm -hmm. and I'm Yoruba so everyone dresses up in like your Yoruba outfit or your Igbo house whatever and then you have like the regular prom which is like everyone's dressed in like gowns or yeah. in, in tuxedos or whatever similar to how they do it here yeah okay. yeah yeah except you do both you do <laughs> and I missed both <laughs> well I can't speak to the first one that sounds cool but the second one is lame <laughs> did you have did you, were you interested in farming at that point like when you were thinking about coming over here not at all it was the last thing I was thinking about I mean mm -hmm. I, I um, studied agricultural science in Nigeria I think I took agricultural science like all th from seventh grade uh, seventh grade no from eighth grade through twelfth grade um, just because I thought it was interesting I think it's amazing that you went to a school that even offers that. I mean, mine I did not. Yeah, I, I don't mine know. Mine geology. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even know if all schools offered it. Um, but it was an elective after ninth grade, and I took it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I just felt like it was an easy A. And we went to go on trips. <laughs> it's not like an easy A. Okay. And you're like, because I'm a farming genius. <laughs> I was just like, oh, it, you know, you get to go on trips. So I thought that, yeah. that was interesting. That's cool. Yeah. And then somewhere in the back of my head, I thought, you know, one day I'll retire and I'll buy a farm. You huh. know, but it was, you're not raised as a Nigerian child, um, especially middle class, like I was, to be a farmer. Right. You're raised to be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, you know, something hmm. respectable. So that was definitely not on my 
It wasn't on my list of possibilities. Was farming looked down upon? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Something that now villagers do. It's not... Yeah. yeah. You know, my grandfather was like... Um, was a re- retired professor. He was an obstetrician and gynecologist. My grandmother was like one of first five, this is both on my mother's side, one of first five women to graduate from university in Nigeria. Oh, wow. So farming. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. The bar was high. Yeah, very high. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our commercial sponsor. And then I want to hear more about you, Yemi, when we come back. <laughs> This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best-tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave-Age cheeses, Der Scharfe Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Hey, you're listening to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. Those were a lot of cheeses I've never heard of. I think I've heard of like Emmental. <laughs> I was like, wow. Do you, have you heard of those cheeses? No. Okay. I just I need to I need, up my cheese I need to up my Swiss cheese game. Um, hey, this is this is Sarah Kamen. I'm the host of Food Without Borders. I'm in studio today with Yemi Amu. She's the co-founder of Oko Farms. And uh, she was just telling me about growing up in Nigeria and what Nigerian prom is like. <laughs> Even though she didn't go. I didn't go. And about her journey to the United States, which she made um, when she was 15. So so let's pick up there. Mm-hmm. That's okay, Yemi. Yeah. So, um, so your dad was making the move to the States. Yes, he was. Okay. Um, and he brought me along with me, brought me along with him, um, rather, and we moved to Queens, to Cambria Heights, Queens, with his sister. Um... And that was interesting. It was so funny because I'd been to the U.S. before when I was about eight years old. Um, But it was with my mom and my brother, and we were in Westchester in Rhode Island. So we got to Queens, and I saw all these brown people, and I was like, where are we? Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) My dad was like, we're in New York. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, did not expect this many brown people. This is nice. That right. I would think yeah. it would be like a softer transition <laughs> to go to a place like Queens as right. opposed to like, definitely. I don't know, Virginia. Definitely. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is nice. <laughs> Were there other Nigerians there, like other other than your family? No, not that I know of. Yeah, not that I know of. Um, yeah, no. Did it feel overwhelming? 
Yes. It felt overwhelming in ways that I did not expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up very sheltered. Um, so, and I, I grew up sheltered, and then I started college that September. Oh, wow. So I turned 16 in September, and I started college in September. So, like, I was a 16-year-old in college. Like, that alone. Like, that's tough for anyone. Like, nonetheless, someone who just came from Africa. Exactly. I didn't have friends. And, you know, there are little things. Like, people would always comment on how I spoke. You speak Mm -hmm. English so well. It got to a point where I just didn't even want to speak. Because I was so self-conscious. Even though they were complimenting you. Yeah, but it felt weird. Like, why wouldn't I speak English? I'm just so confused. Like, why wouldn't I speak English? Um, and then, of course, I learned that people are so ignorant about Africa and Africans. Right. Right. So before I came, it was like I knew everything. I uh, in not everything, but in a lot of ways, I felt like I knew a lot about America and American culture. And like I watched the movies and I watched the TV shows and I knew all the language. Like I was familiar with the culture in a lot of ways. But because it doesn't go both ways, because exactly. we know nothing about exactly. what your experience yeah. was like. So that was very strange for me. Yeah. And I couldn't really make friends with people because I couldn't relate to anyone, you know. Mm. And then, of course, I learned that I was black, oh, which is right. another thing. So, like, people would make comments like, black people don't do this. But, you know, it was just, like, it's so confusing. It was so confusing. Yeah. It was confusing for years. Right. Yeah. And you were undocumented when you came over. I was. So I found out. Later, because, of course, Nigerian parents don't tell you things they're supposed to tell you. Mm. Um, Yeah, my dad apparently had filed for a visitor's visa for me um, instead of a student visa, but he didn't tell me. Um, And then I found out, like, but he would just, you know, like, I found out when I started looking for a job because I wanted a part-time job. um, And people would ask, like, do you have a green card? And I was like, so, hey. Yeah. <laughs> They're asking for a and we green? like, what's a green card? Yeah, and he was like, just, just, just tell them you don't, you know, like, he would tell me to make up something, you know, to say, yeah. And it, it wasn't until much later that I realized, like, oh, my God. And then that I realized that, because I was like, hey, I need to know these things. I need to understand, like, what's going on. And he explained to me, like, I'm applying for your green card, and you will get a social security number. But in the meantime, you have to be really careful, and people can't know that you don't, you know, have. I think I got a student ID number. And yeah, he tell so me you to were told to keep it a secret. Yeah, I was told to keep it a secret. And, I mean, did you understand the implications of what it meant? Like, did you know that if your secret got out, like, what could happen potentially? So, I initially, I thought that it just meant that um, a job could fire me at any time. Mm. It wasn't until I met other Nigerians that I understood the implication. Because I met other Nigerians my age who were like really like scared and worried about deportation and all of that. Then it made me realize, whoa, this is a big deal. And no one's telling me how big of a deal this is. I mean, I don't know if that's like better or worse though. You know, it's like ignorance is bliss a little bit that you weren't like plagued by the anxiety and like, you know, luckily you didn't get deported. Yeah. But it was also a different time. It was pre 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think I got my green card. So I came in 96 and I got my green card like maybe 99, 2000, something like that. Mm -hmm. It took a, it took, it took some time because my dad has had his green card. 
because um, he went to University of Minnesota and got his green card in the 70s. And then, so while, after he came, he applied for a citizenship and then applied for my green card. Um, I guess in a lot of ways, yeah, I'm kind of thankful that I was ignorant because that burden was off me. Yeah. Um, but I had a friend who, like, was, who lived in fear. Right. Yeah. Do you think about that time now? I mean, now that America is in the state that it's in with all of the fear and anxiety Mm -hmm. of ICE and deportation. Are you like, that's crazy that like I went through that without sort of living in that, like the reality of what it could be. Yeah. I think nine 11 though changed everything. Mm -hmm. Nine 11 for me was when I was like, Oh, things are going to be so different. Right. I'm so glad I have my green card. Yeah. I think this, everything that we're going through right now is just, we're still living the legacy yeah. Of of nine eleven, this fear of the other, right? It's yeah. that fear, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And once you got your green card, did it change anything for you, just in terms of how you felt, like in terms of your identity, or like that journey for you, feeling like not entirely like you fit in in Nigeria? Did mm-hmm. it? Did you see yourself differently in any way? Not necessarily, but it was like I didn't have to lie anymore. That's you a know? relief. And that yeah. was a huge relief. I didn't have to lie when I go to a job. And, you know, because you have to lie and you have to hope nobody catches you in a lie. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, I think that was the biggest thing for me, having that relief. When someone says, are you a legal resident? I can be like, yes, <laughs> right. I am. And I have a real social security number. Um, yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for me, being able to work um, without lying. Yeah. What does it feel like at this point in time for you? Like, do you feel like, how do you identify more? Do you think about more of like your upbringing in Nigeria or do you like you've been in the United States for a really long time, just with like what everything, the way that that politics have shifted post 9-11 mm-hmm. and with Trump, like where do you see yourself fitting into all of like the culture of the United States at this point? I mean, I've been here now longer than I've lived in Nigeria. So even though I identify as Nigerian, you know, my name is Oluyemi. Like, yeah. you can't get any more Nigerian than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I speak Yoruba. My mother's in Nigeria. Most of my family's in Nigeria. I identify as Nigerian, but culturally, at this point, I'm American. Mm-hmm. This is where I, you know, grew up. This is where I work. This is where, like, um, I've made... This is the country that's had maybe not the most impact on me, but it's had a lot of impact on me. And I've also like given a lot back to the country. So yeah. So I'm, I identify as Nigerian first, but I'm also very American. I mean, if I go to Nigeria, Nigerians will see me as an American. Right. I sound like one. Mm -hmm. My politics (laughs) is very different. My, my view of the world is very different. My mom says it all the time. Like, Nigerians don't think like that. Nigerians don't say that. And I'm like, well, you should think differently. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> um, so what happened that you became an aquaponics farmer? It's a kind of a long story. So first I was, I actually, from about 14 to 24, I battled with, like, disordered eating and Mm. eating disorder. I was bulimic. I was taking pills. I was doing all kinds of nonsense, right, just to, like, be thin, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, And part of my healing process was um, I started to study nutrition, especially holistic nutrition. And at about 25, I decided that 
that I wanted to like also help people on that path and that journey, not necessarily working with people with eating disorders, but with people who needed to change their relationship with food for whatever reason, um, whether it was for health reasons or psychological reasons. So I did a lot of hands-on stuff, um, teaching people how to cook and teaching um, people how to shop. How do you go to a farmer's market or like a, a, a supermarket? How do you pick the, the right foods for yourself that make sense for you? Um, so that's how I started. And then along the line, I just started realizing, like, oh, my God, like, part of the problem in all this is, like, most people just don't have access to good food. Yeah. You know, like, why is healthy eating so complicated? It is so complicated in this country. I don't understand it. Like, it wasn't complicated in Nigeria growing up, you know. For, I think, in Nigeria, the higher up the economic ladder you go, the more complicated it does be become because you have access to things mm. that most people don't. You have access to the junk food, you have access to pizza, you have access to stuff that the Nigerian, the average Nigerian doesn't have access to. And in this country, it's the opposite, right? When you're poor, you're surrounded, you're not just surrounded, you're bombarded yeah. by junk food. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of food, you know, but it's not good food. Um, and that became like, more and more obvious to me because after I moved here, I went crazy. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, things that I would save five months to purchase in Nigeria, I can just buy now for a quarter. Are you kidding me? I was binging like a magic. <laughs> what was your like, what was your big vice? Oh girl, everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything. Like it was like donuts, like donut. Like I would eat donuts once a year in Nigeria, twice a year because right. it was like a treat. Cause you, yeah. Cause I, you could. Now I can, like, I can just go to Dunkin' Donuts and just, like, eat all the donuts I want and eat all the McDonald's. Like, I would just go crazy. Um, and then, so, like, just thinking through that for myself and working through that for myself, I started realizing that, like, for my clients, it's not just, like, they didn't know how to eat healthy or, like, or they didn't know that they were supposed to eat healthy, but it's harder to do when, like, the healthier foods are just more difficult to come by. And that's where farming came for me. Like, I mm -hmm. thought, oh, you know what? Why don't I just grow food and teach people how to grow food? That seems to make sense. So you don't have to worry about where the healthy food is coming from because you can grow it yourself. If all you're doing is growing like a bowl of salad, at least you're having that. You're having salad every day. Mm -hmm. That was like my initial thought. And I was working at a housing facility for formerly homeless um, and mentally ill adults. And the roof had been built to be a green roof, and nothing had been done with it. And the case managers and I decided that we were going to turn the green roof into um, a farm. And we turned it into like a 1,200 square foot rooftop farm. That's huge. Uh, yeah, and that's how my journey started. And I met someone who introduced me to aquaponics, and I thought it was really cool um, because you get to recycle water, right? Because, you know, the ocean doesn't, like, empty out because there's fish poop in it and fill back up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you have this process there where the, the, the um, water is constantly being cleaned and filtered out, and aquaponics allows you to do that. And I had a neighbor in Nigeria who was raising catfish, and she um, shut down her business because it cost too much water um, to raise fish. And he, someone went, you know, and then I discovered this, like, system of raising fish where you saved water, and you got plants, too, as a byproduct. It just sounded really cool. Um, and to bring that, just to do it in New York City sounded awesome. And I spent about, like, two years just traveling and studying it and then, like, decided, all right, I'm going to do this. I mean, all of this was just sheer ignorance. <laughs> because I was like, I'm going to start a farm in New York City. I didn't understand what it even took to do that. But, you know, it's just like I said, I'm leaving Nigeria. Right. You know? 
So I was like, okay, I'm starting a farm. I love I'm going to be a farmer now, and this is what I'm doing. And I just, like, you know, I did it. You yeah, know? and I hear it from other people who've been on the show, other people who've immigrated to the United States. It's like, you guys seem to have this, like, optimism. I don't mean, like, you guys. I mean, like, people that I've spoken to have been like, oh, yeah. you have this optimism that yeah. is so um, just it's just like refreshing and inspiring. Cause I feel like as someone who's grown up in the United States, when you're faced with something that just seems really improbable, the, uh, you know, the, the defense reaction is to be like, nah, that's too hard. But I talked to someone like you and you're just like, I don't know how to do it. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's really lovely to hear. <laughs> think something happens when you leave everything, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and you yeah. have to start over. You've been through so much already. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, also as a Nigerian, you're con- <laughs> like, Everything is constantly working <laughs> against you. <laughs> so when you're in a society like this, it's like, oh, I can do anything. Right. You know? Right. Because we have so many resources. Oh, my and, God. Yes. But I think a lot of people who um, are, we just take that for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we don't even step back and look at what we have. Yeah. Because when you're born in it, I think it's harder yeah. to see. It right. takes like stepping out in order to, to see it. Like there are things now that I look back and I'm like, wow, all these things were available for me in Nigeria that I didn't. Mm. see when I was there it it takes stepping away from it to see yeah um so where can we can can someone visit where's your farm (laughs) oh absolutely so my farm is very close to Roberta's (laughs) (laughs) walking distance from Roberta's um we're at 104 Moore Street and if you want to visit you can go to our website www.okofarms.com and you can sign up to visit um we do um all kinds of like tours and school groups and we do workshops and I actually just started a nonprofit that I'm really excited about. Um, Yes. So, um, the nonprofit is just allowing us to do more of what we're currently doing, do a lot of education. Um, we're in schools, we build aquaponic systems in schools. We have built aquaponic systems in like community centers. We work with people who want to be able to feed their community healthy food. Um, and I'm really excited to do that because our company is not just about growing food to sell. It's really about empowering people and empowering mm-hmm. communities with just information, awareness, uh, and tools. Um, to be able to like feed their themselves or their community, and um, the nonprofit is going to like really focus on the education piece. Um, um, trying to get a bigger space so that mm-hmm. we can do more education on the farm, um, and we can. Right now, um, it's not. Right now, we can't work with the number of schools we want to be able to work with, especially schools that don't necessarily have the resources to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a seven-month training program. The nonprofit will allow me to provide that on a sliding scale. Okay. We'll be able to provide so a do lot you take of, apprentices? I do. I do trainees that do seven months. Um, and they get to, like, build aquaponic systems. In, How cool is that? Yeah, around New York City. Wow. Um, the trainees I'm working with this year are, like, designing and building with me, which is really fun because that experience is, like, rare and unique. Yeah. And they get to experience what it is to, like, run a farm in, in New York City and an aquaponics I farm. I can't even imagine. On top of that. Yeah, so it's a really unique um, experience and I want to be able to provide it to like even more people and to be able to provide maybe even scholarships and provide mm-hmm. it on a sliding scale which is something I've not been able to do and um, also provide all our workshops on a sliding scale we do everything from like aquaponics workshops to like cooking workshops and herbal workshops and to be able to do those on a sliding scale would be amazing and to be in more schools so Oko Farms is 
the biggest aquaponics farm in Brooklyn. Is that right? Yeah. And the oldest. And the oldest. Yeah. And the only outdoor. So were you the first? I mean, that's what that means. Yeah. We were the first. That's incredible. Yeah. We were the first. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> I mean, obviously yeah. there was no model. Yeah. There was no model. I mean, we left New York City to find a model. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. Um, and we're like, okay, we're going to bring it to New York City. And we're going to. So it was like one step at a time. Um, and there have been other people who've started since us. They're not, they've not been as big, and they're indoors and not necessarily accessible to the public. And I think there are people who've done, like, little systems, you know, like little um, demonstration systems, yeah. but not, like, a full production farm. Like, I'm growing okra and rice, two varieties of rice, and sorghum and hmm. lemongrass and beans and, you know... And, and like some Nigerian greens and like, you know, peppers. Like there's no one yeah. doing that. Yeah. 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 And you're a woman and you're just like crushing it. I and know. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I, this is the first time I'm like, you know what? I think I'm doing good. You are. <laughs> and it, I wanted to talk more about like how like farming and immigration and like the stigma of being a woman farmer. And we didn't even get to that yummy. And I, I'm sad for that, but you'll have to come back. I and, will. Cause there's so much more, but I'm glad I learned a little bit about sustainable fish and where to look and just to learn more about you. Cause it's just been so interesting and um, exciting to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so work. much for having me. Um, yes, my pleasure. And thank you out there for listening and for keeping up with us and hanging with us as we, uh, start season four and there's a lot more exciting guests to come so I hope you'll check in every week we're here at 6 p.m. on Wednesdays live on heritageradionetwork.org or you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher um, and heritageradionetwork.org where we live as archived podcasts so thank you we'll see you next week bye <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.